0: We're going to go into the series, new series, chapter two. Everybody ready for a new series? Let's go. I'm not going to lie, though. I could have done Wake Up for like another 10 weeks. Like, wake up to joy. That would have been a fun one, you know what I'm saying? Um, but we'll do that later on. i will do another Wake Up series. I so enjoyed the Wake Up series. If you didn't, I forgive you, okay? Um, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to show a video before every message in the chapter two series. Because chapter two, what it represents is being born again. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, well, what I have to do? He goes, you must be born again. And basically, born again means something this, is that you have to say yes to Jesus, believe that you need Jesus, you get rebirth. The Spirit gives life to you. It's a new life, new tendencies, it's a new birth. Chapter one is full of us trying to get stuff. Chapter two is full of the Savior. Chapter one looks very similar for a lot of people in the room, including myself. When we, when we walk into this world, chapter one looks like this. Get the house, get the spouse, get the job. Life's going to be great. But what we find, uh, find out very quickly is that the house does not satisfy our soul, the spouse does not satisfy our soul, and the job does not satisfy our soul. All good things, but the only thing that can satisfy our soul is the King of Kings, Lord Lord, Lords, Jesus Christ. And so chapter two is saying yes to the thing that satisfies your soul, not just to things of this world. The title of my message is chapter two, Repent. And again, repent is a, a word that the world feels like is this really gross word, but really it's an invitation from God. Uh, The Greek word really means to change your mind. It's an invitation to say goodbye to cursing, yes to blessing. So Jesus comes on the scene. The first thing he uh, declares is repent. And really what I think he's saying to us, and I could use this terminology, is he's saying, all right, leave chapter one where there was hopelessness, and now say yes to chapter two where there is hope. Leave chapter one where there is brokenness, and say yes to chapter two where I can restore you. Leave chapter one where you are selfish, and it did not satisfy your soul, and say yes to selflessness, and see how your soul flourishes. Say yes to chapter two. This series is an attack on cosmetic Christianity. Cosmetic Christianity is killing the church, and it's killing people in the church. Because we feel like we have this pressure of coming to church where we have it together. But I'm praying as we share each story, as we go through this series, and we learn from people in the Bible that were so flawed, that we're so messed up, that God uses messed up people. He loves them where they're at, but loves them way too much to leave them where they are. And so I want to have authentic Christians. I want to have real church Because real church has real problems and real miracles and real stories. Cosmetic Christianity comes to church and 10 years later you're still circling the same mountain. Chapter 1 is year after year feeling the same pain and the same torment and the same struggles. But chapter 2 is Jesus inviting you and breaking that bondage and inviting you to the promised land. You walking away from that and having a whole new thing to say yes to. Let's look how he says it to us. I want to show you a rhythm and then we're going to go into the, the message. Matthew 4, 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent. Everybody say repent. Come on, that's like an invitation to Ruth Chris, okay? He's literally saying, uh, repent, don't go to McDonald's, come to Ruth Chris. Repent, don't go to Taco Bell, come to the greatest Mexican restaurant on the planet, whatever that one is for you, okay? Repent, do not eat that TV dinner. I just cooked a 45-ounce ribeye, bone in. Stop it, repent. If you are a vegetarian, repent of being a vegetarian and eat meat again. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I heard a, oh, and I'm out. I'm kidding. Hey, if you're a vegetarian, I celebrate it because there's more meat for me and you. Thank you. So. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I eat a lot of fish, not a lot of uh, red meat. I think vegetarians fantastic. I think we were vegans. Fantastic! It was a joke. I saw it. I took it. I didn't do it in the first service because it is a bad joke, but I did in the second one because I'm a little tired. Forgive me. Okay. Um, so Jesus is saying, "Repent." It's an invitation. Repent of your sins, aka the sins that He's talking about. Theologians break down basically chapter one, if I put it this way. the One way we hear it is just the kingdom of darkness, but really a better way to say it is the kingdom of self. Turn away from self-help books. Turn away from self-shaming, self-righteousness, self-centeredness. All this selfish mindset, all it's going to get you is narcissistic and pain and you'll never be free. Turn away from those sins and turn to the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 2's title is the kingdom of heaven. How should we pray, Jesus, the disciples asked. And he said, disciples, pray that my kingdom would come and my will would be done in your life. What does it say in the Beatitudes? The first one, blessed are those who realize they're poor and they realize they need God for the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. Man, there's a rhythm of the kingdom of heaven throughout the New Testament. God wants that to reign in your life. Theologians call it the now but not yet story. And the now but not yet theory is simply this, is that the kingdom of heaven, the love that is in heaven can reign your life today, even though we're in a broken world. Because we're not in heaven yet, but right now you could actually have heaven because Jesus died and tore the veil so we could experience heaven. We experience joy, not of this world. We can experience peace, not of this world. We're an inside-out person. We don't find it from the outside things of this world. We find it from the inside, the Holy Spirit that bursts things inside of us, and then we transform the world inside-out, not outside-in. Do you hear what I'm saying? So there's an invitation for you to turn to life. Dallas Willard says it best in one of his books, and Dallas Willard is a uh, was a man, who was a philosopher at USC, theologian, great author, great omission, one of my uh, I say, wouldn't say one of my favorite books, but it's a great book on spiritual formation uh, where the church has kind of lost how to disciple people. And so it's a great book I read, a.k.a. Audible. Who <laughs> Audibles are you here, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, I read that book. Audible it. Um, but I audibled it, all right? Uh, some books I don't audible. Charles Spurgeon deserves to be read, okay? Uh, you know what I'm saying? You've got to read that book and highlight that book. But here's what, what um, Dallas Wheeler says in one of his books. And it's one of more famous uh, stories in his books, and it's about his childhood in Missouri. And here's what it says. As a child, I lived in an area of Southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. But in my senior year of high school, the power company extended its lines in the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better but we still had to believe in electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think this comparison rather crude, and in some respects it is, but it will help us understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of heaven. If we pause to reflect on those farmers who, in effect, heard the message for the first time, repent, for electricity is at hand. Turn from your kerosene lamps. Turn from your brokenness. Turn from your lanterns. Turn from your hate. Turn from your ice boxes. Turn from your torment. Turn from your cellars, your scrub boards, your rug beaters, your woman-powered sewing machines, your radios, your dry cell batteries. The power, that be, the power that could make their lives far better was right there near them where they were by making relatively a simple arrangement. For us, it's just saying yes to Jesus. They could utilize it strangely a few did not accept it. Some people didn't want change. They wanted to settle for what they had. Amazing to me. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want it. Others could not afford it, so they thought. Stop. I believe the chapter 2 series is to encourage all of us one of the things the Bible shows is that we're supposed to renew our mind. When you say yes to chapter 2, it is a process. You're not saying yes to, I said yes, why am I not perfect? Yes, why do I still have struggle? Because when you say yes to chapter 2, Jesus is saying, follow me. I'm going to renew your mind. I'm going to renew the broken things in your life. We're going to kill the flesh of this world, and we're going to renew the broken things of your mind. And you're going to have the mind of Christ, and you're going to live by the Spirit of God. But what happens, a lot of us, we say yes to God, but we don't say yes to following God. And there's a big chasm there. You have to follow God. He wants to expand your capacity. My wife and I, on our, on our uh, sabbatical, we went to uh, Lafayette Park Hotel to get a massage. 90 bucks on a Monday, Tuesday, I highly recommend it. You to hang out at the spa, the pool, it was awesome, okay? So we get done getting our massages, and you think after you do something amazing like that for your wife, she's gonna be fantastic, right? Well, we get in the car and she looks at me and she goes, I would love for you to go to masseuse school and give me massages. I was like, you know I have a job already, right? And she's like, well, you can figure it out. It, it, it means a lot to me. And we use the word a lot when we really mean it. A lot, a lot. Kind of like, all right, I'll pray about it, all right? So so let, let me just uh, unpack this real quick. Uh, I know online, I see these advertisements. Maybe you've seen them too. Is that basically, the internet has changed the game. It's changed the game. You can uh, be taught by Steph Curry online on how to dribble. Masterclass of Steph Curry. He'll literally You pay the money, and online, he'll teach you how to dribble. You can take a golf cl- uh, class with one of the greatest golf instructors in the world. You can learn how to cook by, like Gordon Ramsay. He will teach you the master art of cooking. They also have masseuse classes online. So I looked them up. Nah. Anyways, so I didn't do it. Um, I decided not to. I told Rachel I'm going to pray about it. I think maybe our 10-year anniversary. I might do cooking first and then masseusing. Uh, masseusing? Exactly. I don't know what that is. What's the term? Massaging? I don't know. I'm back. It's, I've been gone for two weeks. I'm a little rusty. It's all good. Um, I didn't do it. But the game has been changed now that we have at Access the greatest teachers in their fields. The greatest cooks now we can learn from by just a click of a button. Jesus comes on the scene. Philosophers use a term called misliving. Misliving is a term basically that you have a picture of your life, of what it could be and should be. And just like you misplacing something, you mislive your life with the wrong priorities and you navigate in the wrong ways. And at the end of your life, you look at your life and it's a chasm of what you thought your life could be and actually where you're at. And a lot of people mislive their life. But Jesus comes on the scene, and this is oh, it's a phenomenal quote from Dallas Willard. Here's what he says. I don't, even, I don't want to paraphrase it. Jesus is now taking students in the master class of life. He is inviting you, he's inviting me to chapter two to say, I want you to master what it means to live as a son and daughter of a living God in life. I want to expand your capacity. I want you to love like you never thought you could love. I want you to dream the way you never thought you could dream. I want you to give the way you never thought you could give. He wants to expand your capacity. Here's what I mean by that. About a year and a half ago, I go in these phases where I'll gain about 15, 20 pounds. I want to lose some weight. And I'm in that phase right now. I, uh, I wanted to lose, I was about 212, and I wanted to lose about 18 pounds about three months ago. I'm 216 right now. So it's been a little bit of a struggle, okay? Do the math. 212, <laughs> three months, 216. I've gained four pounds, Okay. Devastating. Um, but my wife and I were actually doing something together, so I'm excited. But, so I, my weight fluctuates only about 10, 15 pounds. So I'll get in the thing like, all right, I'm going to work out for the next three months, and I'm going to get buff again. And so uh, me and Caleb do the P90X together at the gym. So at the, the gym, the P90X, you do push-ups and pull-ups. i got to be honest. I can do push-ups pretty easy. 25, 30, easy. I go do pull-ups, and I was like, hee! I could barely do two, okay? And so P90X recommends a grown man grabbing your ankles and holding them and lifting you up at the gym while you do the pull-ups. So Caleb is holding my ankles, and I'm going, one, two. Grown men are like... And, and, and what's sad is it wasn't like this. It was more like this still. And sometimes I'm like, are you even helping me, Caleb? Come on! So I'm trying to do 10 pull-ups with the help of a grown man. I'd see people at church the next day, and they'd be like, I saw you at the gym, what was Caleb doing helping you? With the-? And I'm like, I can't do pull-ups. I'm trying to do 10 pull-ups. It was a phenomenal process. Thank you for laughing at me. It feels so good. Mm. At the end of 90 days, I went from two pull-ups on my own to 10 pull-ups. I expended my capacity of pull-ups. I want you to hear this. With- I think it was my wife. Woo! That's my man. 10 pull-ups. Straight up. Um, <laughs> either my wife or my mom. I like thought it only two to be like, you did it! Ten pull-ups! <laughs> I want you to hear this real quick. I believe that cosmetic Christianity is killing the growth of Christians. Because you can't grow on your own. The Bible shows very clearly that the Word of God is where you flourish. And in the community of the church... Psalm 92, it says that literally those who are planted in the house of God, the community of God, they will grow. So many of us in the room, we're struggling with these things, and we put a facade on, we don't want to tell people, because right now, you can only love at a one, and you need some people to literally grab your feet and help you, lift you up, and teach you how to love at a ten, but you're not asking for any help. Some of you are married right now, you can barely get by, and it's at a one, a pull-up one, if you will, but you won't ask for help, because Cosmetic Christianity has killed the process of us asking other people for help to actually flourish in our marriage. Chapter 2 is an invitation to an abundant life. That's what it says in John 10. It's an invitation to literally expand your capacity. Some of you right now, you forgive at a one. You're just like, well, that's just who I am. I try to forgive. I just can only do a one. Here's why you're still at a one, because you haven't asked God for help, not by your power, not by your might, but by his spirit. You're not self-empowered. You're spirit-filled. God is going to empower you to love ways that you can't, but also you need people in your life to help you love. So I think one of the greatest ways that we start to love people is you start receiving love from other people. And your capacity to love is how much you can give love. And so my prayer today, as we go through chapter two, and I'm just going to share a couple quick stories, and today's message is not three points, I'm setting up the series for the rest of it, because the rest of this series is going to be somebody in the Bible that was living chapter one like a Moses. Moses was a self-righteous murderer, self-righteous, thought his plan was, I'll just kill the Egyptians, and then my people will be fine. That was his plan. Chapter one, a lot of our plans don't work. Chapter two, he becomes the self-sacrificing, most humble servant on the planet because he encounters God. Joseph has a dream. How many of you have a dream right now? It's like you want something great to have in your life. A lot of us have that. Come on now. I, I believe that. So Joseph's dream at first, he thinks it's all about him. Chapter one, everything is about us. It's the kingdom of self. Chapter two, he realizes the dream is about God's people, not me. God gave me that dream to bless people. And your capacity this next seven weeks, I believe, is going to get on the fast track in the name of Jesus, that you're going to be committed to growing in love and selflessness in the priorities that God has for your life, that you would find somebody. I'll be real. I have people in my life that I tell on myself, too. There are people in my life. I, 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 need, I need to have a few people in my life. They know everything about me, the good, the bad, the ugly. Church is messy. And the problem with church to the outside world is that they think they can't bring their mess in here because we're putting a facade of cosmetic Christianity. I think we need to get more real and say, I'm not okay, you're not okay, he loves me anyway. We're all struggling. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got some junk. Baby's saying amen. Come on, baby. <laughs> I want you to catch this real quick. I, wanna, I want you to look at the kingdom of self verse real quick and ask yourself what is going on in the world and the opportunity we have. The kingdom of self verse is just in James 3. It's a very simple verse. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Man, the world today is just all these self centered, self help ideas and the kingdom of self has been advancing in America but I believe the kingdom of heaven is being set up for a new revival in America. I believe it. And so my prayer today is that we would understand what it's going to take To see the kingdom of heaven come to a broken world. And I believe the way that we, uh, what we have to do if we want to see chapter 2 not only invade our life, but to invade a region, is that we have to say yes to the mess. Everybody say yes to the mess. I was watching a YouTube video of a famous pastor being interviewed talking about he needed a private jet because when he flew commercially, people would come up to him and ask for prayer. And it would bother him. And I was like, the mess is the ministry, man. Like, what, is, what do you think ministry is? Why do you think you're a pastor? So you can fly in a pirate jet and talk places? That doesn't transform the world. It's when you encounter people in their mess and love them where they're at, but love them so much to journey with them to get them where God wants them to be. We have to fall in love with the mess. Jared Tolkien, one of my favorite authors, writes a book called Lord of the Rings. It's three books. Anybody love Lord of the Rings? Come on now. Woo! Never read it, actually. I just watch the movies every Christmas, okay? <laughs> don't judge me. Don't judge me. I don't read a lot of fiction books. I read a lot of, a lot of uh, um, nonfiction leadership books. Those are my favorite things to read. I audible a lot. Whatever. Uh, G.R. Tolkien created a new word when he was writing Lord of the Rings. He coined it. It wasn't around, and now it's a word that's in the dictionary. It's called eucatastrophe. The way authors would write is they would write everything's going well. You've seen this in movies. And then right when everything's going well, then it just, <clears throat> boom, terrible. It's a rhythm of how writers would write. But Jared Tolkien said, you know what? I'm going to write a story completely different. It's going to be where everything is going terrible, and then a U catastrophe, EU, it's, it's the word U in Greek, and it means good. It's a good catastrophe. So when all seems lost in my book, Lord of the Rings, in my movie... Then there's something great that's going to happen. You see it throughout the book when, when, uh, when they're at the two towers and it looks like they're about to be defeated and they're about to die. All of a sudden, a catastrophe comes in and it's Gandalf and it's like, oh, and he defeats everybody. It's the eagles all throughout. Literally, J.R. Tolkien said the eagles were all eucatastrophes. He put them in there for that. Where Gandalf is trapped, he's like, How will I ever get out of this? And an eagle shows up on eagle's wings. Hello, Bible. On eagle's wings. Uh, are you tying Lord of the Rings of the Bible? Sure, a little bit, whatever. Um, and literally, he jumps on the, the eagle and flies away at the end of the movie. How does Frodo get out of there? With the eagle, eucatastrophe at the very end, last battle, that Rohan, who was saved in number two, and number three, what happens? Rohan, when everything looked lost, Rohan comes in and uh, helps fight the, the last battle, eucatastrophe. You are called to create a catastrophe in the East Bay region. When all seems lost, you come in and you save the day. What do you mean, I save the day? Jared Tolkien is quoted in one of his essays that the greatest catastrophe of all time is the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it was inspired that when all seemed lost, when there was no way, he made a way. When the, everybody saw death, he came on the scene and brought life. And what we're supposed to do is he's passed the baton to us, passed the mandate to us to literally bring chapter two to people, the new birth, a new life, a new way to live. There's freedom. We're supposed to bring youth catastrophes to people. We're supposed to love the mess. The couple that we gave this check to, I literally, as I was studying, I was like, Lord, I want to be a youth catastrophe this week. I'll I, Open my eyes to who it would be. I'm sitting across from two church planters, and this is literally how they looked during the thing. I remember that. Two weeks before we church planted, I was barely sleeping. I had anxiety for the first time in my life. I was asking, I felt very alone at the moment when we were church planting. It was crazy. People were telling me I shouldn't plant in the Bay Area. People were, were questioning Rachel and I's motives, which I'll just let you know, whenever you're about to do something great, the enemy is going to try to attack you from every angle. David, before he defeats Goliath, Literally, he walks up, and his brother Eliab goes, oh, I know your motives, David. And he's like, what did I do? I'm just here. And he's trying to attack his motives before he's about to go defeat the Goliath. And all his, his faith is is actually the greatness of God. So we're sitting there, and they're talking. And I was like, this is my moment, Lord, to be used by you. Everything I'm about to do is everything that you've brought into my life. I'm not creating this you me. You're coming to me and through me to bless this couple. In the middle of our conversation, after we talked for a while, I said, hey, we'd love to mail your church a check. And he like lit up, and their countenance was like da 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 da. And they're like, you know what? We were driving here. We're believing God. You're gonna do something great. We're gonna meet some new friends. You know, it's been a hard season. We left Boise, and we lived da da. And I I was like, yeah, bro, we can. He's like, so I think we made friends. I was like, well, bro, I just give you a check. We're not friends yet, man. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Too far, too far. You want my number? Um, But I said, yeah, we can be friends, man. I love that, bro. I love it. It was it was such a sweet moment. I started thinking about my life. Started thinking about the catastrophes that happened in my life. I'm in eighth grade, and I believe this that we have to be attracted to the myths. The Bible shows, and I want you to catch it. I want to read the verse, and I'll go to the story, but I want to read the verse to you first. It's a simple verse, and it says this It says, You are the salt of the earth. Everybody say, salt. salt. You are salt. What does that mean? There's two, two, uh, two meanings to the, the salt scripture. One is simply this that salt is to flavor things. That's one of the meanings. So uh, I'll use a simple illustration steak. If I have a steak and it's not very flavorful, I put a little salt on it and I eat it, what do I say? That's good steak. I never heard somebody put salt on a steak and go, mm, that's good salt, right? Are we right? And what Christians are supposed to do, one of the things the Lord's shown us is we're the salt of the earth, is that we're supposed to come in places and bring the flavor of the kingdom, taste and see the Lord is good, and people go, man, there's something great about that city. There's something great about the East Bay region. And first they don't know what it is, and they start to research and they find out It's Jesus. It's the salt of the earth that is transforming a region. When you go to a small group or you go in a room, you're supposed to be the salt of a room. Don't be the person in the Bible study that you're the one that's like, "Uh, actually, the Bible says this, actually, the Bible says this, and you're actually way too salty because you're being judgmental. That's not the type of salt God wants. He wants you to flavor a room, compliment a room, make it better, encourage people where they're at, and when you leave the room, people go, man, when they were here, it was better when they were here. It's better when they come because they bring the flavor of the kingdom with them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Second part of salt, simply simply this, it is drawn to broken things, and it, it keeps things from breaking. So broken things are drawn to salt, salt's drawn to broken things. And so Jesus is saying to the earth, you are the salt. And if you lose your flavor, what good are you? A.K.A., if the church is not drawn to the mess anymore, and the mess is not drawn to the church, what good is the church? If the messy world looks at us and goes, man, cosmetic Christianity, I can't come yet, I'm not good enough. And the church, if I'm being honest, my heart today is that we wouldn't only bring people to church, but we would bring the church to the people. That we wouldn't only just bring them here to hear the gospel message, but we would go live the gospel message out of here. So what good is the church if we're actually not drawn to the broken? Now let me go back to my story. I'm in eighth grade, didn't grow up in church. My first experience was my grandma led me to the Lord. God bless Peggy. Peggy Berry, my grandma, one of my favorite people on the planet. Top three people who you gotta to use to transform my life. Well, I hadn't gone to church yet, nobody in my family went to church. I grew up in a very messy home. Uh, my parents uh, you know, smoked two packs a day. My house was in chaos. You name it, screaming, yelling, cussing. I, I never could have friends spend the night at my house. Their parents were always like, oh, sorry, um, Billy can't spend the night at your house, but you can spend the night at our house. And I never knew why parents would never let their friends spend the night in my house. And as I got older, I was like, oh, I get it. My house was chaos. If I was a parent, I wouldn't let my kids sleep there where the, the dad's going to cuss out my son probably too. So Janie dis- decided for a whole year Jenny Reynolds. I was, she was the mom of one of my buddies named Brian. She would pick me up, drive 25 minutes out of the way, pick me up at my house. I'd get in the car and I'd smell like smoke. And I mean, just, just the way that uh, we, we, were, we were raised. And I'd sit in her car and, and I would literally uh, get dropped off with Brian and I'd hang out in youth group for the whole year. The first time experienced church. She came to the mess. And after a year, I loved it. It was, it was so fun. I found friends. I, I, I found that church was such a big part of my life. But then Brian went to a different high school. And I didn't have a friend to take me anymore. And so I just got in hoops. But I remember being 16. And I remember going, man, I want to go back to church. I liked church. It was, it was, it's something like I felt like the Lord was drawing me back to. So I walk into a church. I was like, yeah, all right. And I'm wearing a backwards hat. And I just get blasted by a few people. How dare you wear a hat? I'm like, well, I'm just, first time, like literally just blasted me. I remember leaving that church. And if I would have never been at that other church before, I would have never came back to church again. That experience would have ruined it for me. But because Jamie Reynolds was drawn to the mess and sacrificed, again, she didn't get anything from it. She had no idea what my trajectory in life was. If I was going to say yes to Jesus, she just knew that was her purpose in life was to go get the kid that nobody else would get. And so she gave away. So guess what I did? Three churches later, I finally find a church that was awesome. And I was like, oh, they love me where I'm at, but they want me to help me become everything God called me to be. Attracted to the mess. Do you know that before the miracle, there's always a mess? Do you know that before anything God does great, there's always a mess? My wife, she's Italian. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. She's Italian. She's Italian. She does everything big. Okay, 1 to 10, it's a 10, everything. Like, we're driving back from L.A. She's like, let's drive on the coast. It's 13 hours. Let's take pictures. It's going to be great. And I'm like, oh, no. I was like, I'll meet you halfway. We'll go to Santa Barbara, drive on the coast, and then get on I-5. She's like, deal. You know, um, she just goes hard of the paint. She loves going hard of the paint. So we're, we're newly married, and she's like, I'm going to cook dinner for us. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Sounds great, babe. And she gets all these ingredients. She's Italian, so she's going to make uh, homemade lasagna. So I'm, I'm watching uh, the game, and I walk in. And it looks like downtown, like uh, Beirut. Just like, a poof, like, just like chaos. Like, you know, it's like, like everything is exploded everywhere. And she's like, I'm making lasagna. You know, I was like, what have you done to the kitchen? Like, and we're both messy people, but I was like, this is going to take years. Like, what have you done? You know what I'm saying? And I mean, like flowers on the ceiling. I mean, it's crazy. Okay. She, she, she ends up making lasagna. I come to the table and it was one of the greatest meals I've ever had. And I realized you gotta have a mess before you have the feast. Catch this real quick. It's in scripture, I'm gonna show you. The Bible talks about the great banquet, Jesus. And the big mess is mankind. You're forgiven. <laughs> trying to preach over here. It's getting, uh... Adam and Eve made a mess. Oh, the mess of all messes. Separation between God and man, and man couldn't be good enough, cosmetic enough, and so Jesus made a way, and it looked really messy. But man, because of that mess, the greatest mess, now we have the greatest banquet, and it's the salvation party, and it's when we get to go to heaven. It's an amazing picture. When I was processing planning a church in this region, if I could be real, people are telling me don't plan the Bay Area. Four percent go to church, it's super expensive. Walnut Creek, you won't even find a building. It's hard to find a building. The church, the church before you hired a firm, they couldn't find a building. Thank you, Jesus, for the city of Walnut Creek allowing us to meet in here. This is the only place that said yes to us. But here's the deal in the midst of what I saw as a mess, God opened my eyes to the opportunity of a revival. Because before revival, there has to be a mess. That's just how it works. The mess is the ministry. If there's no mess, why even have a ministry? If there's no mess, we're in heaven. All good. If you're breathing, there's a mess. There's a reason. Because God wants to do something great in your life. David wasn't the strongest. He just saw the opportunity to kill Goliath. He saw it. You need to see it with me. So I got really overwhelmed, to be honest. All right, Lord, I feel like you're calling me to plant a church in a region where they don't really like church. Lord, you put a dream in my life to change the world. Literally what I feel like you put in my life. Oh, this is a prayer. a prayer of my life all the time. Lord, make me a revivalist. May my words revive the sleeping. May my words revive the broken. The ones that, can I say something real quick? If there's kids in here, I'm sorry. May I revive the ones that have an identity where they see themselves as a slut. You're not a slut, you're a saint. The world has given you the wrong title. We are drawn to the mess, we're going to preach to the mess, and we're going to love the mess. I came from a conference, and I was jacked up. I was like, "Woo! I'm going to change the world. We had a conference. We should do a conference. I said, we're going to run out the lecture Center, and we're going to have a conference. And I went back to what the Lord told me at the very beginning. Lord, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? How are you going to use a donkey, a man, a, a broken person, how are you going to use me to change the world? I'm going to use you to change the world one person at a time through my truth. I want to catch this real quick. Jesus is with a huge crowd. First time his disciples were together, thousands upon thousands, he gets in a boat and he goes straight to the graveyard, the messiest place ever, a demoniac. And he's teaching his disciples a simple principle. We're going to change the world one messy person at a time. And he takes him to the graveyard and changes that man's life. Then he goes to a well, and a messy woman who's been with five other men, maybe even more than that. She's going in the middle of the day because the cosmetic culture has made her feel so shameful that she goes by herself in the heat of the day instead of the morning, which was customary. But she went in the middle of the day because she felt so messy, so gross, and nobody would want to be around her. So Jesus goes, I'm going straight to the mess. And I'm going to talk to this Samaritan woman, and I'm going to tell her how she's loved. I'm going to tell her how she's redeemed. And I'm going to tell her her life can be completely different. And she's going to say yes to chapter two of her life, and she's going to change the whole village. She's going to change the person's life one person at a time, which changed the whole village one at a time. There are people in our church that are going to prisons right now. I was talking to a few of them. They literally go to prisons. And I thought to myself, man, conferences don't change the world. You change the world. I change the world with the gospel of Jesus, one person at a time. A, is Catherine Neeson in the room? Catherine, you want to wave at me in the room? If not, I can't, I can't see anything. My retinas are burnt by the lights. But Catherine, she might have been in the first service. She is going into our community and there are orphans where families are broken. She's taking care of babies for months at a time before the family can be restored and then giving the baby back. Man, that's changing uh, the world one person at a time. I I believe that there is an assignment on your life to go change the world. Man, just say yes to it. Say yes to the mess. Say yes to your messy neighbor. Say yes to your messy culture. Say yes to the person that has different political views than you. Say yes to the person that has a different background than you. Say yes to the person that's rich. You know what's so funny? I actually see more disdain from poor people towards rich people than rich people towards poor people. I'm just being honest. I'm a poor person. I hate rich people. Just saying. Hey, uh, I mean, I always got the money. Can't get the new shoes. I'm wearing the same shoes. Man, like the the bra- the things that are dividing our 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 our, our culture. Let's, let's break them. Let's get in the mess, and just love people. Back your heads.